Amen. Thank you, band, for leading us into God's presence through the ministry of music. Thank you, Cassidy, for reading 87 verses of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, what do we owe her? $20? Is that right? Yeah, there's bonus material for that uh, length of Scripture. And uh, the, so, so partly why the Scripture is as long as it is, is uh, last week we got snowed out, and I still had the Word of God in me, and I couldn't have just let that go. Uh, and we got to stay on track in this book of Ephesians. So uh, we're basically taking last week's reading and this week's reading. You get a combo pack today, okay? So consider yourself blessed that you get a two-for-one special. I'm not, I'm not seeing it in your faces. You're not feeling blessed, are you? All right. Well, I'm not doubling the length of the sermon today, if that makes you feel better. Um, what an intense reading. What an intense uh, section to read, and uh, the, th that was the entire second chapter of the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul writes to the Ephesians while he is under house arrest in Rome. And for those of you who are Bible scholars or Bible nerds, uh, here's a question for you. Do you know why Paul was under house arrest? Raise your hand if you're fairly confident that you know why Paul was arrested. Anyone? Anyone? I've got a, a hand down here. Mr. Hank, why was Paul arrested? Do you know? He was killing Christians. Now, he did kill Christians before. That is exactly right. But this is a different time that he got arrested. This is later on in his life after he got an arrest. Give him half a point, would you? All right. So the reason that Paul got arrested is because it wasn't a DUI. It wasn't because, you know, he stormed the Capitol or did anything crazy like that. The reason that Paul got arrested is because he took a non-Jewish, uncircumcised person into the temple court. Now, those are fighting words, aren't they? Now, we look at that and we think, are you serious? Now, let me back up. Actually, I'm wrong there. He didn't take one. He got falsely accused of taking somebody into the temple court that was a non-Jewish, uncircumcised person. Falsely accused, and somehow that and a string of additional events landed him all the way into Rome under house arrest. So that is why Paul is writing under house arrest to these Ephesian Christians, a letter that probably circulated to several churches in that area as well. And fortunately for us, that letter is circulated right here at First United Methodist Church in the year 2021. Now, it might be strange to us to think that Paul would be under arrest because he brought somebody who's a non-Jewish person into the temple court area. That doesn't really compute uh, all that much with us. But to Jews, this was a serious offense, an offense so serious that the Romans recognized it as such and allowed it to be punishable by execution. If you're a Jewish person and you bring a non-Jewish person into that holy, sacred space, that's how um, protected their identity was. That's how sacred that is to a Jewish person uh, in the history of Israel as well as in Jesus and in Paul's day. Now, for us, that might be hard to imagine. Uh, perhaps some of the equivalent might be if you go back to the Deep South in the 1950s and you, you, you bring a person of color into a white-only restaurant then you might be finding some eyes raised and some kind of social barrier or boundary got crossed. That's to some small degree kind of a parallel, though they're not apples to apples by any stretch of the imagination. 
This is what was important to the Jews of the day, that they protect their identity as God's people. And that had to do with the covenant, the sign of the covenant, not, not just their race and their ethnicity, but also uh, circumcision and everything that went with being God's people. So Paul comes in, and this is the backdrop that we read Ephesians chapter 2 in. It's, it's what's behind the text as we read it. So he comes in and he says things like, Blessed be God the Father, you were dead in your, your trespasses and your sins. All of us lived among those who were disobedient, following the passions of our flesh. We were children of wrath by nature. And then Paul says, But God, who is rich in his mercy, out of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. Strange, isn't it? God, Paul's talking in past tense here. He made us alive with Christ, and he raised us up with Christ and has already seated us in the heavenly places. Not just one of these days after you die, you get to go to the heavenly places, but right in the very present moment, it's already been done. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. This is God's doing. It's His gift. He has done this to you and in you so that you can't boast or brag about it being on your good effort. And then Paul says, For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus. We are created, not just created like we were born, but we're created in Christ Jesus. And so Paul hits pretty much Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 there and talks about what God has done through Jesus. But then comes the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Uh, Paul flows out of this into something that is also inseparable from this great act of salvation that God has done. And he goes on and he says, you're created in Christ Jesus for something. Four good works prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And then he continues to go on. He's like, those of you who are Gentiles, like that guy I never did take into the temple but got falsely accused of taking into the temple. Those of you who are Gentiles, you were once called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision. Once you were without hope, you were outsiders. But now in Jesus, you have been brought near. And then Paul says, in his flesh, Jesus has made both groups into one. He's torn down the wall in between them, and in his flesh, he has created a new humanity from the two. He then goes on and says, you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are with Christ a part of his holy church. So Paul is saying, this is how salvation gets worked out in the world. It's not just that you're saved by grace as an individual person, and then everything else is just, you know, kind of aftermath stuff, but that salvation works its way out into this bigger story that has something to do with God in and of himself creating a new humanity in a world that used to be separated into at least two different categories of people. Christ has brought them into one. Now, there's a theological word that uh, we have to uh, kind of wrap our minds around, and that's the word ecclesiology, okay? So, just to make sure you're paying attention here, uh, I want to invite you to say the word ecclesiology with me on three. 
One, two, three, ecclesiology. Okay, ecclesiology. That is a, comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. The word ekklesia simply means the called out ones, the ones who are called out from the community or from, out from the people. The early church decided to use this word to describe themselves. We are the ones called out of the world. We are the ekklesia. You'll see this several times in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul uses it all over the place. He calls them the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Theologians have kind of developed uh, in, in theology kind of different levels of what we call ecclesiology. It's, it's, it's an understanding or theology of the ecclesia, a theology of the church. There is what you might call a low ecclesiology. In a low ecclesiology, the church is just kind of this aftermath thing. It's just a secondary thing that, that's kind of a bonus add-on to what salvation really is. So God has done this great thing. He saved us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He rules over all things. And you as an individual person have to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confess your sins to Him, Ask for Him to give you His Holy Spirit, and in the mix of when all that happens, you get saved, you become one of God's own children. And then after that, it's just a good idea if you need to join a few others in a Bible study, it's just a good idea to, to get some other Christians around you kind of as an afterthought to kind of build you up in your faith and, and so that your personal individual salvation can kind of stay on the right track. You need other people around you. That's a, what I call a low ecclesiology. The, the church is secondary. It doesn't really matter all that much except as a means to the end of your salvation or your walking with Christ. Contrast that to a higher ecclesiology. Here's what a higher ecclesiology looks like. God has created a community of people, a, a group of people under Him who worship Him, love Him, know Him, follow Him, and therefore love one another. And this community, He even calls His very own body. And it's very important to God who this group of people is. And as a part of that community, those who follow Christ are engrafted and joined into that great community. This community that is meant to be the light to the world, not just a collection of individuals, but as an entity all in itself. That is what we will call a high ecclesiology. I think Paul's getting at a high ecclesiology here. In verse 14, he says, For Jesus is our peace, and his flesh he has made both groups into one. He's broken down the dividing wall, the hostility in between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. We read in Ephesians 9, created in Christ Jesus for good works, our American individualistic Western 22nd, when the 20, what century are we in? 21st century brain um, automatically goes individual. But the creation of God is always including a communal creation. He's always creating a body of people, a high ecclesiology. The way that we be the church 
matters significantly. And I argue that the way that we be the church matters more in 2021 than it's mattered in a long, long time. As the world continues to be post-Christian, we must learn to embrace a higher ecclesiology. You know, as I reflect upon the invasion of the United States Capitol building uh, about 10 or 12 days ago, I've been just trying to process and and try to draw some of my own thoughts and interpretations of, of what is really going on here. And I've got a couple that I'll walk away with. Number one, as an American, I, I just kind of, I am baffled by it. I am baffled that, that someone would, someone would storm the Capitol, would breach the boundaries of the Capitol, would break in. I'm baffled that, that it would be done, that we would allow it to be done, and just as an American citizen, it blows my mind that it happened. It, it, it's, it's just, it's a, a, I don't know if you call it a threat to democracy, but it, it definitely is a challenge to the way that we understand who we are as an American people, whether you're a person of faith or not. But the second to me is just as, if not more disturbing, and that is the fact that there was a significant number of people in this group who have claimed to represent Jesus in some way or another. There were crosses involved. There were flags with Jesus' name on it, Jesus 2020 or Jesus whatever. There were shirts. There were banners and signs. And so as, as, a, as one who is a pastor, as a leader in the church, we and I particularly have a responsibility to speak to what is and is not Christ. What is and is not the Spirit of Christ in the world. And as I look at that, I can only say that, that that's not the Christ that we preach here. That's not the Christ that we come and we remember His goodness and His power and His blood, where we come and we confess our sins humbly where we come and we uh, are the people of God together. But here's what I think is happening in our culture today. God created people, all humans, with certain ways of being and certain desires. It's just who we are. We can't escape it. It's how we are. God created all of us to have a mission in the world. He created all of us to, to put our hearts and our minds and our hands to work at something in the world. Part of that's our vocation, but part of that's just what does it mean to contribute to a flourishing society? That's what God, God wired into us. Second of all, God wired into us uh, a desire not to do that alone, but to do that in mission with other people. So, take those two together, if we have a mission in the world, when we lose touch with God's mission in the world, then we will substitute some other mission for that. And the most convenient mission to substitute for God's mission in the world is a political mission, a United States political mission. Second of all, if we lose sense of who we are in mission with, a.k.a. if we have a low ecclesiology and we don't understand ourselves as a part of a corporate identity as God's holy people, 
then what we will do is we will substitute something else for that group. And that group will be our primary group that we belong to. And one of the most convenient ones is, is the political party of your choice. We are a people who are called to belong to a group of people on a mission. And what we're seeing is a people all across America, all parties, that have forgotten this story if they ever knew it, and have a low ecclesiology. In contrast, there is only one community of people who can truly live out the life that God has made us to, to live out. We are a people with a mission. That mission has to do with making disciples. That mission has to do with the kingdom of God. That mission has to do with loving God and loving one another. That mission stands inside of history, looking back at the cross and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit, but also looking forward to what God is going to do in Jesus to complete history. That's what our mission is and where our mission lies. Second of all, not only do we have a common mission, but we have a group of people that we are called and created in Christ Jesus to be in that mission with the church that Christ created. Not just First Methodist Lubbock, but the church that Christ created around the world of every tribe and tongue and nation and race. Finally, this common mission with this common group of people, we live under a common authority the authority of Jesus Himself. When we lose Jesus as our real authority, we will follow whatever political or other leader of the day is in front of us. Well, our authority gave us a model of sacrifice, one who gave up His own life for us. We gather around a cross every single week to remind us that the one who is risen from the dead was also the one who gave up his life. What does that do for us? Well, if we have life inside of us, that draws our confession out. We don't really see confession modeled in the world very well. It's not rewarded in politics. It's not rewarded in the public sphere. I was watching the impeachment trial, kind of listening to it as I was working, and after I watched it for about an hour, and then I was just exhausted because it's just the same old junk you see. You know, you have person A saying this, and then person B says this, and then person A says the same thing that person A said, uh, you know, a second ago. And then the next person B says the same thing that first person B said. It's just back and forth, same old stuff. And it's just like you could switch news channels and hear the same stuff. But then some guy got up there, and he said something that I had not heard in the whole first hour. He said, you know what? My people have probably really done some things that we shouldn't have done. We've allowed some things to happen. My ears kind of perked up. I was like, is someone confessing that they did something wrong on national television when their hand wasn't being cranked to do it? Most of the time when we hear confessions, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry that I did that. I got caught. And yeah. This was someone just offering a confession. This person went ahead and said, and, and, it's po and, and I think all of us have probably, everybody in this room has done, done something wrong. And that person just started his speech off in that way, and it was like a fresh breath of air 
to hear someone willing to actually admit that they were wrong about something in the public sphere. We live in a graceless world that doesn't allow for that. But we as the church live in a world that demands it. Confession is part of what we do. We come here to confess our sins to God and to one another. And that's where we find our real identity under our real authority. Furthermore, we have this great community that we get to do that with. Jesus Christ has broken down the walls of hostility among us and has created inside of himself a new humanity. There is a group of people who began to meet this last summer. And I haven't been a part of this group. I've recently just become aware that this group has existed. And uh, there's going to be a prayer gathering right here at First Methodist, right down the hall at the sanctuary this coming Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. And here is what this group has put out. It says, this past year has obviously been an extraordinary season of life for all of us. A worldwide pandemic, racial tensions, injustice, violence, political tensions, a presidential election, and violence in our nation's capital only a few days ago. All of those events continue to have the incredible potential to create barriers between us, including our families, friends, and churches. Collectively as a group, we grieve over and lament that we have seen unfold in our country, and we repent for any part that we have played in that divisiveness. Because of our different backgrounds and life experiences, we may have different perspectives on a variety of issues, but we should all grieve when we see any form of violence and when we see the loss of life. As human beings created in the very image of God, we are better than this. God created us for a relationship with a divine family and with one another, and Jesus died to restore those relationships that we broke with our sinful, with our sin and rebellion. The Lubbock Roundtable, representing a diverse group of pastors and ministers in our city, began meeting in June 2020 following the death of George Floyd on May 25th. Our goal has been to listen to and to get to know each other better, to encourage and promote righteousness and justice in our community, and to pursue reconciliation and healing among all people. Our desire is to model what God intended from the very beginning. Our desire as pastors and ministers is to follow the example of Jesus and to encourage others to do the same. Neither our passion for health during a pandemic nor our passion for our political views should be allowed to be greater than our passion for Christ. We believe it is possible to love and to be gracious to people with whom we disagree about both matters small and great. In fact, if we follow Jesus, it is expected. And so collectively as a group, we are committed to healing and reconciliation, first among ourselves and then to all within the circle of our influence. We are committed to pray for one another, our community, our churches, our nation, and our world. We ask you to join us as we pray for one another, as we extend love and compassion to all people, and as we pursue healing and reconciliation. Specifically, we invite you to join us as we pray for a peaceful transition of power in our nation, to pray for our leaders at every level of government, and to pray for peace throughout our country. This prayer gathering will be held on Tuesday, January 19th at First United Methodist Church. We will begin promptly at 7 o'clock. Live streaming will be available at fumc.com. 
Folks, I have my own political opinions. And sometimes I have somewhat deep convictions about those, and, and I hold on to those. But I find a lot of comfort that there is something higher and greater than politics. That the cross of Christ and His reign over us is common ground that people of different opinions and persuasions can come together and have prayerful conversations. This is what the world is longing for. This is how the church can be a shining light in the world. That we be a people who come under His authority together. Even as we disagree with one another, we do agree on who He is and who He is in our life. I pray that as God sends His Spirit upon us, that we would receive, that we would believe, that we would humble ourselves, that we would repent of our sins, and that we would find ourselves together with His people. And that whatever wall of hostility we find between us and somebody else, if that person is a follower of Christ, that we would see Christ abolishing that wall and creating in Himself a new humanity. I fully believe that's God's will, and I fully believe that's how we can cooperate with Him today.